Welcome to Maximum Mom with Elise Buey, where you'll hear from women who are navigating the same messy journey as you. Lawyering, entrepreneurship, and mothering, what a trifecta. We're here to share tips, resources, wins, losses, and encouragement for moms who are raising a family while building a law firm. So you feel less alone in your journey toward a fulfilling career and being the best mom you can be. Welcome. Happy Monday. I mean, this is kind of a a somber Monday, though, because we're actually recording this on September 11th. So obviously, you know, there's a lot of remembrance of what happened on September 11th. Bridget, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Elise. So happy to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you and talk to you about all things related to life as a mom, life as a lawyer, and as an entrepreneur. And so I know you can relate to all those things. So first, I mean, I always like to just start, tell us about who's in your home first. Just, you know, what does your home life look like? So- There's myself and my husband, Ryan, and we have four, almost five-year-old son named Quentin. And then we have a menagerie of animals. (laughs) We have a dog, Oliver Wendell Bones, a cat, George Poshington, and two red-eared sliders that my husband bought in Chinatown as a college student that lived for 40 years, Rocky and Izzy. You're kidding. 40 years? 40 years. They are already 20. No Did he know this when he got them? Does any 18-year-old know this when they buy amphibians on the street in New York City? No. <laughs> I don't wow. think so. I don't know. I didn't know him then, but I can tell yeah. you I didn't know that when I married him that I was inheriting two 60-gallon tanks of amphibian. That is like one of the best things I've heard in a long time. I kind of love that. Talk about long-term commitments. I mean, seriously. I mean, I hate to, you know, be negative being the divorce lawyer that I am, but I mean, that is longer than many, many marriages will last. It really is. Wow. Now, does he hang out with them a fair amount? Like he has, so we actually have our tanks in our basement because we weren't sure that any other floor of the house could support the weight of that water. Yeah. So he has his home office in the basement. So when he is working from home, he hangs out with them. Our son likes to go down and check them out. I'm not really a reptile amphibian type person. So I feed them. I provide for their basic needs. And if you saw my LinkedIn a week and a half ago, I spent a whole day at home monitoring one of the turtles because it escaped from its enclosure and injured itself. But he's on the mend. Oh, good. Wow. They're good climbers, it turns out. Wow. I kind of love that though. That is, I mean, I just cannot get over the 40 years. It just, I mean, from a parenting standpoint, it literally speaks to me as a mother of a son when, I mean, and this is going to sound just horrible to like regular people when my sons were coming along and, you know, we're talking about 
you know, like not getting people pregnant, not having children. I was like, this is like a serious commitment. Like this is not a a no joke thing. And I was like, let's run some child support worksheets. Let's see what does the cost of having this child look like? And poor Doug and I, I mean, we literally are, I guess we set the bar kind of low as each child got to 18, then 21, and we didn't have any children, you know, we were like, look at this. This is such a parenting win. <laughs> you didn't know you had to also run worksheets on investing in animals with a long lifespan. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is just absolutely <laughs> priceless. I think I'm going to add that to some of my consults when people are thinking about prenups. I mean, you might have thought to like discuss this if you had known these things were going to live for 40 years. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, if you got people with parrots, they right. can live for like a hundred years. Exactly. Exactly. I kind yeah. of really like that. Well, tell us a little bit about your practice. I mean, you have such a unique practice. I kind of love it. It's just not your standard, you know, criminal law, family law, estate planning. Like, tell us what you do. So I opened my office, uh, Heath and O'Toole, in a rural New York county in April. Uh, I moved from a bigger city out here into the sticks, and I love it. I practice environmental, land use, municipal, and renewable energy law, which all of that is really converges in these rural communities. So that's why I came out here. I'm bucking the trend. I just love that, and you're so right about the rural communities. I mean, we, as you know, and are going to soon see because you're going to visit me, but we live in a rural community and it's fascinating because like right now we have this whole big project happening where they are trying to remove one of the oldest bridges in our area. And it has something to do with the salmon estuary. Like I do not fully appreciate all the the stuff. All I know is I don't want to see this old bridge get torn down And because it's this super historic, you go through it and you kind of love it. You know, it's this so much history, but Uh it's so fascinating to see how these communities have to both evolve, but then also, you know, not evolve beyond what is their history and their uniqueness, you know, and their real unique thing that they bring to the world. I don't know. It's a really complicated thing. And I would think out in New York, just like here in Washington, there's a lot going on in that area. There really is. And it's, you know, really exciting to be able to work, you know, hand in hand with people in their communities to help, you know, make decisions about the future for their communities and not thinking just about, you know, the housing complex going down the street, but what does this community look like in 50 years? You know, what is, what impact is climate change going to have on that? And I'm here on the great lakes, you know, it's the largest source of fresh water in the entire world. It's not a secret that we may be one of the few places in America that may benefit from climate change. And it's like, you have, we have to plan. Are people going to come here? Where are they going to go? What kind of infrastructure are we going to have? What what kind of community do we want to have? And I think it's really exciting. I really enjoy it. And I love giving people a voice and feeling like they have a sense of ownership over what is often an unpredictable future. I mean, it's, it's nine 11. I was thinking about this this morning, how different my life is. Oh yeah. Than I thought it was going to be and how that all changed in 2001. Like, I I mean, would I even be here like this? Probably. I don't know. 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a lot to think about the changes that have occurred since, you know, the attacks on New York City and all the different things that have occurred. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling to me. I mean, I think of it, my, I think I had two children at the time. I I didn't even have two of my children. And I mean, and to think about their entire lives being, you know, post 9-11, it's this fascinating, really fascinating thing. I mean, just the simplest things. We look at plane travel completely differently. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I just think it's amazing. I think you leaving, I mean, because didn't you work in a, like a larger city? I think of you kind of more in like a bougie, you know, kind of city-ish practice. Um, yeah, I was in a, in a boutique law firm in Rochester and, you know, we had a very lovely office and it, and it was a, a lovely firm and I just decided to do something completely different. I love that. Or well, at least in a completely different place. <laughs> yeah. Well, now how has that impacted your family? I mean, no doubt there's been, you know, I would think positives and negatives to its impact to your family, your time with your son. I mean, what did it look like in the old farm versus what is it looking like now in the new farm being a mom as well as an entrepreneur and a lawyer? Well, you know, I mean, I have a lot more control about when my work happens. And I'm not saying that I didn't have, you know, some flexibility before, but my son, when we went into COVID was 18 months old. Right. So he was a little guy and, you know, the, the quality time you spend with an 18 month old is different than the quality time you spend with a five-year-old. Yeah. So we, you know, I worked from home with him for almost a year during COVID during lockdown. And my husband's an attorney too. So we both worked full-time while parenting, not, I don't probably not doing either very well. (laughs) You know, the big change since April is that, I mean, I I set my own schedule and if I have school events, I have, and this is my internal guilt, not an external guilt that it's going to be okay. Like I can, I'll just make it work. I will flex the time in a different place. I can set my schedule around knowing when his school breaks are, if I want to. But I mean, at the same time, I also moved my office into a rural community and I don't currently live in this community. So I added a commute that I didn't used to have. Mm -hmm. So that's been a challenge trying to, to figure that out. And, uh, you know, the end of the school year last year, my son, you know, got sick one day at school and the school nurse called me and she's like, I need you to come pick him up. And I said, okay, I'll see you in 45 minutes. And she was like, no, I need you to get him right now. And I was like, well, then I guess you should have called his dad. (laughs) 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 Because I'm in a different county and it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there. And my husband's five minutes away. Did you try him? He's first on the list. And the answer was no. And I was like, well, do you want to? (laughs) Like, these are your choices. You can wait 45 minutes or you can call my husband. But I'm lucky I have, you know, my husband's very supportive and um, is great. But we still have run into those gender norms from external people. And oh, yeah. for the reason everyone calls the mom first, even if I'm the least available of the two of us, because I representing municipalities, I work at night a lot. You know, schools are not very understanding of that. It is amazing to me. I mean, the fact that we all still deal with that. Obviously, my kids are older now, but I mean, up through the the last day they were in school, it just didn't matter how many times I said or wrote, like, this person is closer. I, like you, 
was in a different county for many years of my practice where I would be in court most days, like all day long. Yeah. And so I put their stepdad on because he literally, you know, his office there at University of Washington was minutes, three minutes, five minutes from any given school. They couldn't bring themselves to deal with that ever, like (laughs) ever. And so it was, you know, call me, get me out of court, get somebody in my office to text me. There's an emergency, you know, then me have to call the school and be like, this person is closer. Like, is it an actual emergency? We shouldn't be having this conversation. Like, you know, you should have followed the form. And if it's not a real emergency, you know, maybe just have my kid text me and we'll deal with it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But here we are. I mean, it's funny. Cause like my husband is number one, the number one contact on all right. of our forms because totally. he works down the road, you, you know, and he's in-house with a school district and like, so his, <laughs> he has a much more reasonable working hours at least by, you know, society standard. Whereas like, I, I might be working at five in the morning. I may be working at midnight. I don't know. My, my schedule is very variable, which is wonderful in terms of being able to fit things in where I can with my family, but is difficult for other people to schedule around. And I know, you know, how hard it is to schedule because you're a busy lady. Yeah. Well, I just, I don't understand how we cannot accept that we kind of know best about our family. And so when we're filling out these forms, oftentimes we're filling them out from a place of knowledge, understanding, and we're trying to be empathetic to their needs, you know, like, and the fact that this is an ongoing thing boggles my mind. I just, and when I hear it again, like here we are again, you're having a conversation like, 45 minutes, five minutes, you decide, you know, (laughs) what do you want to do? You know, read the form, follow it or not. Well, funny enough, they decided to wait the 45 minutes. No. I was like, okay, I'm getting in my car. (laughs) See you then. Oh my gosh. That is priceless. What are they thinking? I don't know. It's not like my husband's scary. Like. Oh my gosh. It is. I mean, I hear this from, I literally hundreds of women that I talk to, this is such an ongoing problem. I mean, I have had people who have filled out their forms and they've done them in like different colors. You know, they're highlighting, they put in like friendly picture faces of the husband. Like they've done all kinds of things to be like, you know, actually in our family, this person should be the first person called like for whatever reason. I mean, even with stay at home husbands, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It is a funny thing, but it is a thing. And I kind of think that's hilarious that they wanted you to anyway, but whatever, whatever. I mean, he's my kid. Got him. I went to urgent care. Got him taken care of. He was fine. But yeah, it is. I mean, it's one of those things, though. I I wish I could just scream from every rooftop, like about the issues around, you know, fair play and how do we bring better equity into homes? And it does require these third parties to play along, 
you know, like pediatricians offices and sports programs. And I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I would be on the email for whatever. And I'm like, I didn't sign my kid up for this. Like he did, you know, like feel free to email him about this coach gift or whatever. Like why and how do you even get my email? Like, how did I get sucked into this? (laughs) Or, oh, do you want to come in and volunteer on XYZ days? Like, yeah, I would love to, but that's not going to happen. I travel all the time, all over New York state. I have a statewide practice, which is wonderful, but I don't know how much time you've spent outside of New York city in New York, at least, but it is a very large state. Large. (laughs) So, I mean, I, to go see a client in my same state, I could be driving for eight hours. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I saw recently, didn't you get to travel somewhere recently where you got to actually see some of the, I think it was fishing related stuff happening like on the ground. And I was like, that's so awesome. Yeah. So I am in my renewable energy work that includes offshore renewable energy. So I work with one of the largest commercial fishing associations in New York state in helping to responsibly site these projects in their transmission lines. So I got to go out to Long Island and meet with my, you know, the members of this group in person, which was so wonderful and see what they do every day. We don't have commercial fishing on the U.S. side of Lake Ontario or Lake Erie. So I'm not very familiar with, you know, commercial fishing culture, only recreational fishing, but I found that it, it was very similar to my experience in working with farmers. Oh, but their crops move. Yeah. So it was really great to like see, you know, how the sausage is made. You know, they, they caught the fish, they brought it in, they pack it, they sell it. And it just was so cool. And I even got to eat a lot of it. That was the best part. That's amazing. Gosh, I love that. I got to bring my son. Yeah. He got to touch a bunch of dead fish. He feels very brave. And he actually asked me this morning, he's like, can we go to Montauk tomorrow? And I was like, no. I'm sorry, you're going to school. And he's like, but I would really like to go back and see the fish. And I was like, maybe next summer, bud. Like, that's really far away. That's so fun. Have you ever seen a movie? I learned about this movie. It's like a documentary this weekend. It was called Biggest Little Farm. Have you heard of that? Mm -mm. Oh, you would love it. I mean, when you think about renewable energy and all this, it's all about this couple that decides they're going to start a farm. And I mean, it's a farm in California, but I mean, like the ground is dead. Everything is dead. And they work with this man and figure out like how to bring life into this farm. And you, you follow the course of their time. I think it's like over seven years. And, and I think there's even further, you could go like on the internet and look it up even further, but it is wild what they figured out how to accomplish things and how to bring together different ecosystems and make them work. And it was absolutely so inspirational. I was just like, Ooh, I love these people. That's amazing. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I mean, I find that my farmers that I work with, my fishermen are some of my, you know, biggest conservationists. They really get it. Their hands into the ecosystem and see how, all those things are connected that the rest of us who just go to grocery stores take for granted. Completely. 
Well, in this show, it was so interesting because they were fighting like coyotes who were, you know, killing chickens and stuff as just a random example. And then all of a sudden they realized that, I mean, because they kind of struggled with, you know, they actually shot one of the coyotes and that's not their kind of mindset at all. And then they realized that they could use the coyotes to hunt the gophers who were harming the citrus trees. Like it was this whole thing in this whole, I mean, it was truly one of the more powerful documentaries I've seen. I mean, and it was just absolutely fascinating to think about the impact of the growth of our food and, you know, how it does impact whole systems. And then just today I read something and somebody was like, you know, I'm eating an orange and not only does it not look like an orange, it doesn't taste like an orange. And she's like, that's really concerning to me. And I thought that is really concerning when you go to the grocery store and get a thing and it's not even slightly like the natural thing. Yeah. I mean, and you th- I think, you know, if you're removed from it, the amount of time between when, when your food is grown and oh, the yeah. way and w- how far it is shipped and then how long is it in cold storage before you actually get it? it it's mind boggling. It um, is. So I, I, you know, obviously a big, I'm very fortunate to be in a place with abundant natural resources and fresh food and be close to farms and be able to get my right local grass-fed, you know, proteins and fresh eggs and all of that. And I I know that's such a blessing because there are so many food deserts in this country where you just can't, what you're eating is synthetic food. And how is it not, it's just not nourishing to your mind or your body. Yeah. I mean, I think you make such a good point though, how there are truly really different places around where I love the term. I actually have not heard it, a food desert, but I think it's exactly what it is. I I didn't invent it, but yeah, I mean, especially in our inner cities, there are serious people are getting their food from family dollars and corner stores are not, don't have access to fresh food. And, you know, our diet impacts every, as we're learning everything about us and our physiology. I'm not a doctor. Throw that out there for Facebook (laughs) and the podcast world. (laughs) Such a lawyer. Let me disclaim that. (laughs) Right. It's so, so true though. And I think, I mean, I think good nutrition plays into our ability to handle the stress of our lives as far as, you know, what we do do as lawyers and as moms and entrepreneurs. I mean, when you think about handling stress and dealing with that in your work, I mean, how do you kind of, what are some of the things you do to manage your own stress? I mean, because you're in the throes of it, you have to be early on in your own practice with a young child starting school, like you've kind of got a lot happening. Yeah. I, you know, always have a lot happening. And then I, I chose to represent local governments for a living. (laughs) There's no drama there. You know, I am a big proponent of meditation. I don't do it every day. I'm not, you know, a purist, but I definitely am a big fan of my meditation app and just shutting down and grounding myself for a little while and just kind of recentering. And for me, that's very helpful. It helps calm all the voices. They're like, you need to do this, do this, you need to do that. Why aren't you doing this right now? You're wasting your time. You know, those kind of 
things. Yeah. So that, and just every once in a while, it doesn't happen as often as it should, but unplugging for a little bit, reading, a, reading an actual book in paper. Yes. Where there's no electronic, no dinging, no phone, no anything. And <laughs> ideally next to a fire with a nice cup of coffee, but. I love that. I find meditation to be kind of life altering, like to just be able to, like you said, I think silence those voices and try to just focus on, you know, the things you're supposed to be focused on just as simple as, you know, breathing or just, you know, how do you feel in the moment? I started doing a it was like a 21 day meditation program. This guy, he, I love his voice. I always do a lot of guided meditation. I kind of stink at, yeah, meditation. <laughs> like if I'm just supposed to be silent, I mean, woohoo, that brain goes all over the place. So he did a book. He wrote a book called Stop Missing Your Life. And his name, I think, is Corey. Muscara or something like that. I think it's M-U-S-C-A-R-A. He does this 21 day meditation and he has it like on YouTube. His voice is the most like pleasant, relaxing. I literally got to day eight and it took me, mm, I think six tries to get through the day eight meditation because I fall asleep. And I mean, my husband, I would start it again. My husband's like, are we still on day eight? I'm like, hush, like, <laughs> I'm going to get through it. But he's so relaxing and peaceful and just, I don't know, there's something about meditation that I think is, and you could not have told me this 25 years ago that I needed to meditate. I would have been like, come again. But now I am a huge fan. I mean, and I can just, I can even tell in my body, in my system, I'll be like, oh, I need to go take 20 minutes. And I mean, it it can be as short as that. Like, you it know, can be shorter. I mean, I was yeah. stressed. I was I had a, a doctor's appointment a couple of weeks ago and I was a little stressed out about it. And I was sitting in the waiting room and I was like, you know what? Or not in the waiting room, in the in the exam room by myself. And I was you always wait at those things, right? I was like, you know what? I'm going to go hit the light and I'm going to lay down on this table and I'm going to do a five minute guided meditation by myself while I'm laying here. And I felt so much better after. And I had nothing to be worried about, but like just the anxiety of sitting there and being like, this is a waste of my time. I should be doing something. Why am I still sitting here? What is taking so long? And it just, it made a huge difference. And then I wasn't, you know, crabby when I came in. It was a good use of my five minutes. It's amazing how I think it can calm your brain and that whole just ruminating we do, you know, around God knows what, I mean, pretty much everything, you know, we can choose to ruminate on. And whenever I find myself like thinking about something multiple times, I'm like, okay, Elise, like, no, I mean, it's a funny thing. I have a, a funny rule about email. I always say I do delegate or delete. Like I am not reading an email twice. I mean, just period. It is not happening. So, in, and I have to make that decision quick, like do delegate or delete. Like, and I literally have to make it. And so when I find myself ruminating, I think the same thing. I'm like, at least either fix this, delegate it, or delete this from your brain, like stop. And so I I have this pretty intense, like, You're just not going to run over things over and over. And if I need to put time to think about it, like sometimes the delegating is actually 
putting time on my own calendar to think about it, you know, and I'll be Mm -hmm. like, Elise, you have thought about this problem like three different times. Like give yourself 90 minutes, figure it out, like solve it, you know, understand all the things. And so it's funny because sometimes if you look on my calendar, it'll be like, you know, at least thinking time about this issue. But that means that it's come around my brain, you know, and and I just feel like rumination, that is a waste of, at least I feel like for me personally, it's a real yeah. waste of my time. I have decided really in the last, you know, 18 months that I've wasted enough of my life you know, worrying and rehashing things that I can't change that I'm just, you know, done with that. And we're, you know, going to be a woman of action. I'm not, I'm not wasting any more of my life being worried about, you know, what other people think and, you know, can I do it? Can I not do it? Well, if you don't do anything, of course you can't do it. So just do it. (laughs) What's the worst that can happen? You fail. Okay. Try something else. Exactly. I had one of my colleagues, one of the people on my leadership team went to a conference this past week. It was the HubSpot conference. That's the CRM we use. And they tend to be a really progressive, just kind of like forward focused company. And it was fascinating. She slacked me and she's like, my biggest takeaway is that we need to be failing a whole lot more and a whole lot faster. And she was like, we just need to move on things. And take action. And if it's the wrong action, we can turn around and start again. And I was like, wow, that's powerful. I mean, when you think about just failing fast and failing often as being such a positive way to move forward. I mean, indecision and, you know, paralysis is real. And I I spent a lot of time wasted of, I mean, not wasted, but where I could have been moving forward being worried about what people would think if I opened an office in a rural county, would they think that I was giving up, which I'm not. <laughs> you know, I really was worried about that. I'm like, are people going to think that I couldn't hack it in the bigger market? And it's like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what they think. I, I, I'm happy with my clients. I'm happy with my referral sources. I know that I have like a lovely statewide practice and what other people think about me moving into, and I'm from this community, so it's not like I'm a stranger to the community. What people think about that really doesn't matter to me in the way that it did a couple of years ago. Oh, I mean, that is so freeing to actually learn that what other people think only says something about them. It has nothing to do with you. I mean, in really coming to terms with that, that what people think of you is truly not even your business. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's all not. their business. And it and it's their problem. If you want to miss out on, you know, what I'm doing, that's fine. You, you do you. That's great. Totally. I'm so happy. And I'm going to do me. And I'm going to be in a place that it aligns with, you know, my value and being in a, accessible to people who need me. There are so few attorneys practicing in rural communities. There are, I think, 11 in the in the county that I'm in. 11 attorneys, and three of them are in this office. And two of them are named Bridget. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and no, I don't do your more general practice work. But I have wonderful contacts and community totally. people who do. And I'm you know, so privileged to have the trust of people in this community who can come to me and know that if I give them a referral, it's to someone who is worth their time. 
Exactly. And not just, oh, I opened the, well, no one opens the phone book anymore, but you know what I mean? I do. I do. Oh, no. I mean, a trusted referral is a huge resource for people, and especially in rural communities, because they don't even begin to know who to go to. It's a whole different, everything is different as far as finding people and just even knowing what you're looking for. Oh, I mean, I completely get that. Absolutely. Someone, you know, from the community called our office this morning, actually, well, right before we got on here and they wanted to know if I would handle a medical malpractice claim. And I was like, God, no, you don't want me to handle your medical malpractice claim, but here are three wonderful attorneys who are not far from you, who I know if you call them, they are at least, they, you know, will hear you out and let you know if this is something that they can help you with or, you know, are going to give you, are not just going to say, oh, call the lawyer, lawyer referral service. Right. You know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think, I mean, I, I think giving referrals, I mean, it's one of the things I love to do the most is actually help people with referrals and be that kind of trusted advisor to people when they're looking for different professionals, because I'm such a firm believer in getting to the right professionals and really helping people. I mean, I unfortunately had two just horrendous situations where, I mean, two deaths really close to me in a short period of time and referring those people's families to a trusted personal injury attorney. I mean, it, it, in one hand is just the simplest, tiniest little thing. And on the other hand, it is truly powerful to know that the person they're going to use is literally an excellent, caring, ethical attorney with the highest integrity that is going to keep them and their family safe. Do you know what I mean? Through that whole process of people kind of coming at them because they know they're about to collect millions of dollars. And do you know what I mean? Like really big things. Yeah. It makes all the difference that they're with somebody who you know and trust is going to care for them just like you would, you know, being their friend. And I mean, I got a, a card from one of them. She's the mother of one of my son's best friends who was killed. And she did, you know, collect and she, she just, her card was just all about like, what an amazing lawyer I sent her to and how much, you know, she didn't realize in that moment when I'm doing the referral, but I was pretty fanatical about, I'm like, you know, this is going to be a messy situation. Like, and you need an attorney who's going to be of the highest ethical standards. And, you know, and she trusted me and was, you know, willing to go with that. But in in retrospect, you know, three years later, and she watched the process and watched how it can go awry. And, you know, she has a better understanding now. So I think that's such powerful stuff you can do. And the access to justice in rural communities is just so lacking. It really is. And I don't, you know, I think the, you know, for me, the only good thing that came out of COVID was that people are a lot more comfortable being fully remote. So it has, I personally have benefited in that it increased my reach to, you know, some people in places across the state that may have otherwise, you know, questioned hiring an attorney who is 400 miles away. But, you know, in our rural communities are also like 
the ones that have the least access to technology. Yep. So, you know, and that was part of my thought process in coming out here is like the people in the big cities will find me no matter where I am. Totally. But the people here in Orleans County, New York, Western New York are, they might not because at least on my first day in this office, I found out we didn't have Wi-Fi. And not only do we not have Wi-Fi, we don't have cell service. So I had no phone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, and two days later, we got it all squared away. But it's like, but some people, that's their life every day. Like, totally. You you don't have reliable access to a phone call. You don't have reliable access to the internet. And it's not easy to do X, Y, and Z because you just can't count on that the service is going to be there. Right. So I love that, though. I mean, what an amazing thing for you to do to not only just go. I mean, and start your practice there, but I mean, really be there, like have an office where you are right there. I mean, how do you market your practice both to the rural community, then statewide? I mean, have you even, I mean, you might not have even gotten that far (laughs) yet. I know, you know, April is not that long ago. Yeah. I mean, right now it's pretty much word of mouth. I mean, so I I joined an existing practice that has been in this community for 128 years. So they have, and have had the same phone number as long as phone numbers have existed. (laughs) So so there, you know, part of my coming in here was that wanting to provide continuity of service when my partner makes the ultimate decision, which he has not yet made about at some point wanting to retire, which I right. joke about all the time because I'm like, I know I want to retire. So I don't know why you don't know. <laughs> um, but And there's about 30 years difference age between us. I haven't really needed to market as much. Right. In the community, I, I was here already representing some of the municipalities. So people knew me and I, you know, my family is from here. I lived in this particular village when I was a little kid. And then my parents moved us to the next county over, but my the rest of my family stayed here until about 2003. And there was a major chemical explosion in the village and my family's home was oh. got bought by EPA. That's how I ended up being an environmental attorney. <laughs> so, wow. You know, so my family name is is known, so people have some some type of name recognition, even if it's not me personally. Right. And on the statewide, I've been around. I've been practicing for twelve years. Right. I'm pretty involved in state, local bar associations. I like people, so I like to be nice to people. Right. I mean, I'm tough, <laughs> but but I'm fair, and I'm not. You know, I don't go out of my way to make anyone's life miserable. I I let right. I let my work do do that. Exactly. Speak for itself. Yeah, I don't I don't need to be nasty on top of being right. Oh my gosh, I love that saying. I'm gonna remember that for my divorcing people. It's like that's exactly right. You don't need to be nasty on top of being right. Just stick with being right. Yeah, I'll just be right. And, you know, like sometimes I think the judges get it wrong, but I'm pretty sure that I'm right. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love that. Well, what would you say to somebody? I mean, this will be the last question I ask you. What do you say to somebody who wants to start a brand new practice? Like, I mean, what is the, just the couple of things you would say that maybe you didn't know, or, you know, like what lessons learned, I mean, in these few months you've been in practice 
would you say to somebody? Because I people tell me all the time, oh, I'm going to start a practice, you know, and and there's so much to think about. So give us some some lessons learned. Get Carolyn Elephant's book, uh, Solo by Choice. Yes. It's a great. It's a great resource. And Carolyn it is a, a generous human being on top of her book being wonderful. Yeah. You should have a, a very good bookkeeper who is not you. And <laughs> get your insurance. That's great order. advice. I love that. Yeah. And insurance. I mean, gosh, are there a lot of different insurances that one needs? And, you know, as people get bigger and bigger, you don't know about. I had never heard of EPLI insurance. And whoopsie, like, definitely needed to know about that as my team got bigger and bigger. And it's just, I mean, I agree with you. And I love that you named Carolyn's book. Solo by Choice was literally my Bible years ago. I mean, I, you know, read the original one forever ago, a million times. It was tattered. And now I'm actually in her new one, which literally just makes me feel so absolutely. I feel like I can die a happy person that Carolyn mentioned my little firm and my little world in her book. And she's somebody I love dearly and got to visit with when I was in DC last. And just, she is such a generous person and understands fundamentally so much about running a practice as well as the stuff we do outside the practice. I used to watch her stuff with my shingle and all the stuff she'd be talking about her daughters, you know, and like they'd be doing their math homework at the kitchen table and she's writing her brief on energy stuff. And, you know, and I was just like, that's amazing how she is doing this. Uh, She's so generous. Uh, So when I decided that I was leaving my, my prior firm, three different people sent me copies of Carolyn's book. And I was like, well, this is kismet that I must really need to read this. And um, one of them was our friend, Rachel Claire. And Rachel also had set up a, like kind of a, an online book talk with about the book. And Carolyn saw it on LinkedIn and joined us so I like got oh. to meet Carolyn while I was in the process of starting this new firm. And then, you know, she was so generous and reached out afterwards because she heard that I was an energy attorney and there are very yeah. few women in energy law, right. certainly representing non-energy companies. There are even fewer of us. So she, you know, connected with me offline and was just so lovely and wonderful and generous. And I, I've been so fortunate to you know, join uh, a mastermind that you and I are part of with interconnected us. And I just, the being able to speak with other women who've done it and get it, you know, not that speaking to men doesn't have value, but especially for me as a mom, you know, speaking to other moms, like, how do you deal with this guilt of, I am ambitious and I want my business to succeed. And I also want a relationship with my kid and I want him to like me and I want to go to his school stuff. And how do you make it happen? And the answer is you can't make it all happen. You just have to prioritize and decide what's important. And it's just so reassuring to know that you're not alone in that. Totally. So those are my, I guess maybe that's my four things is join a mastermind, get your insurance in order, yeah. have a really good bookkeeper and read solo by choice. I love those. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. That is just amazing. And sometime, I think I'm going to have to get pictures of these pets because I think we should post pictures in the comments of the pets because I'm still, the 40-year pets boggle the mind. I'll, I'll shoot you some photos. No problem. Okay, awesome. 
I hope you have a great rest of today and enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. You too, Elise. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Mom Podcast, a production of Maximum Lawyer Media. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. See you next time.